Hello, and welcome to Greater Faith. You're listening to Committed or Conflicted, a message from Pastor Isolini. We hope that today's message blesses and encourages you as you go through your day. Let's go in the word of the Lord tonight together to Matthew chapter 19, and we are going to read verses 16 through 30, and you can be seated because I'm going to walk through these verses with you, okay? Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bless this Bible study tonight, that you would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying unto the church. Give us understanding. Lord, I thank you for already confirming your word multiple times today and in this service tonight. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Matthew 19, beginning with verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Verse 17, and he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. I want to pull a few things out of these scriptures here tonight for you. The key to the rest of this conversation that Jesus is getting ready to have with this rich young ruler lies in the question right here. In verse 17, Jesus looks at the rich young ruler and he says, why callest thou me good? This was a revelation question. This was a relationship question. This was a commitment question, and that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Committed or conflicted? Are you committed or are you conflicted? He asks him this question, why callest thou me good? Did you call me good because you know that I and my father are one? Did you call me good Because you recognize and have experienced my goodness in relationship with me? If you know my goodness in the revelation of the Godhead, if you know my goodness in relationship, then there will be, then there will not be a price tag on your commitment. What Jesus was doing when he asked the rich young ruler, why callest thou me good? Hallelujah. He was measuring mm, what his vantage point was, what his commitment was, and what his revelation was. How do you know that I'm good? He addressed him not as the good father, but he addressed him as the good master. Why callest thou me good? If you know me as a master, if you know me as a good master, how do you know that I am good? good he was trying to ascertain not for his benefit but for the rich young ruler's benefit where is your perspective coming from because it has everything to do with how you're going to respond to the rest of this conversation he was pointing to the source of his connection with God how are you connect on what level are you connecting with God 
Are you connecting with him as a father? Are you connecting with him as a master? Are you connecting with him as a Lord? How do you know God? What is the context of your relationship with him? Mm, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because the context of your relationship with God will affect your response to God when God asks more of you. Mm, hallelujah. Committed obedience to his word is not an issue when you know him in revelation. What does that mean? That means when you understand who he is. When you know that he is the mighty God in Christ. When you know he is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When you know that there are no other gods beside him. When you know him as the father. I feel the Holy Ghost. When you know him in the context of revelation. You understand who he is. You are not challenged by the Godhead. You are not challenged by somebody else asking you questions. Why? Because you have a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. You understand that he robed himself in flesh. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He shed his blood for the remission of your sins. You understand that he was fully God and fully man at the same time. You have a revelation of who he is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He was asking this. He wanted to know the context. Do you know him in revelation? And when you know him in relationship. Hallelujah. Because I can have a revelation of God without having a relationship with God. Why callest thou me good? How do you know that I'm good? Do you know that I'm good because I've been good to you? Do you know that I'm good because you have a relationship with me? How do you know that I'm good, Sister Cox? Do you know because I've stepped into your life uh, and answered your prayers and moved in your family? How do you know, Brother Dwight? Uh, is it because you're living and breathing and you are here today worshiping God and he has healed your body and he has touched you? How do you know, Sister Benina? How do you know, Sister Brenda? How do you know, Sister Edna? I'll tell you how you know. Because you experienced him. God gave you the revelation when you... You went down in that water and he filled you with his spirit and not only that but now you're walking in relationship and when you need encouragement God is there to lift you up when you need understanding his word is there to bring you clarity when you need direction his spirit is there to guide you how do you know that he is good because you have a revelation of God and you have a relationship with God this is the context in which which you need to know your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You can't just know about him. You have to know him. You can't just have an understanding of him. You've got to have a revelation and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. Verse 18, he saith unto him, which Jesus said, thou shalt do. I'm sorry, let me just. Back up here so we don't get lost. 
Uh, and behold, one came and said unto him, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He's trying to earn it, right? What can I do? And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. And here he goes into explanation. He saith unto him, which? Which commandments are you referring to that I need to keep? And here Jesus begins to talk. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit. Does everybody know what murder is? All right. Mm -hmm. I could go somewhere, but I'm just move on. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Does everybody know what adultery is? Do you? Mm-hmm. What does the Bible say about adultery? But it defines adultery. Adultery is not just a man or a woman sleeping with another man or another woman. But the Bible says if you look upon and lust after, you have committed adultery in your heart. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. This is so important. The reason I brought that up is because we don't get to define or measure what the Word of God says. The Word of God defines and measures itself for us. You don't ever filter it through your own interpretation. The best way to stay in truth is you use the Word to explain the Word. I don't get to use my opinion to explain the word. You use scripture to explain scripture, and that will keep you from erring in scripture. Because this Bible does not contradict itself. Amen? Thou shalt not steal. This is number three. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Anybody know what that means? Thou shalt not bear false witness. You can't be lying on people. Right? Go back and listen to gossip in the gospel. Thou shalt not bear false witness. This happens intentionally and unintentionally. And I just felt, felt a touch on that for just a second. Many times we are pretty loose with our opinions or our perspectives about things that are going on in other people's lives. We get a little bit of information. We're like, well, if they would just, you know. Broadcasting your opinion will lean towards a false witness because we rarely have the whole picture. Remember, we talked about God's perspective on a situation. That's why I don't talk about your business, and it's why you shouldn't talk about other people's business because you may be unintentionally bearing a false witness. Amen. Verse 19. Honor thy father and mother. That was number five. And thou shalt, this is number six, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. <clears throat> Hallelujah. As our world progresses and we get further and further into the last days, I thought it notable that these last two are becoming more and more difficult for people to adhere to. You're like, what are you talking about? Honor your father and mother. These are becoming more challenging the more the world pulls away from God. Because there's a lot of moms and dads that don't serve the Lord. There's a lot of people that the source of their greatest pain came from their parents. But does the Bible say, honor your father and mother only if they're a Christian? 
or only if they walk with God or only if they're living the truth. No, it says honor your father and mother. Mm. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. This can become difficult in our society. Why? Because we live in a very narcissistic society where everybody is out for themselves, right? Mm. Treating others with the same favor that you treat yourself is harder to do than you think. Because when you make a mistake, man, you got a, you got a good reason for your mistake. And you forgive yourself and you move on immediately. But if somebody else drops the ball, my God, we're going to hash this out for the next two weeks. And maybe if they earn it, I'll trust them again. Mm. Treating others the way you treat yourself. Did you forgive yourself? Did you, did you pray the next day? Did God receive you? Was his mercy fresh and new every morning? That's how we need to treat each other. Amen? Amen. These six things, everybody say six. These six things are generally accepted as okay expectations to have of people. Right? They are generally agreed upon, in, even in our society, they are generally agreed upon as basic moral characteristics of behavior even for many people who don't serve God, most people agree on these six things. Would you say that that's correct? Are you guys in agreement with that? Most people, you can talk to a stranger, most of them will agree. Yeah, it's not really a good idea to murder somebody. Probably shouldn't cheat on your wife, right? And people agree on this in our society. These six things probably shouldn't be lying on people, okay? These six things will bring you into Basic Christianity, right? We're about to go deep, so buckle up. They are an entrance gate to moral living. They are the beginning of understanding righteousness. But they will eventually become a boundary in your relationship with God if these six things are all that Christianity means to you. Now, just stay with me, okay? Let's look at the rest of the story. With these six things, you can know him as your master, right? Because we all have a basic understanding of these six moral principles. We all understand them. We see them. We can all obey them. With these six things, you can know him as your master, but you will struggle to know him as your father. You can know him as a good, right? As a good master. What does that word good mean? We've sang about it several times. It's been, that word good has come up several times tonight. Watch this. Good is the adjective describing the noun, a, characteristics, a characteristic of the noun. So he's a good master. A master is what he is. Good is describing the master. You can know him as a good master by obeying these six things. Or if you are willing to go further in your commitment, you will know him as God. And God is good. 
You can know him as a good master or you can know him as God. And when you know him as God, God is, excuse me, good is who he is. The Bible says that God is good. That word is is equal, the same. It's a synonym for God is good. I know you guys are wondering, like, okay, when's this going to hit? This is all building up to something. We're getting there. Just stay with me. When Jesus asked him, why are you calling me good? He was asking if he truly knew him as the mighty God in Christ, his heavenly father, his strong tower, the lion of Judah, the great I am. Because when you know him, the commitment of obedience ceases to be an issue. Verse 20 says, the young man saith unto him, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? He said, I've done these six things. I understand them. I practice them. I haven't wavered from them. I've done all six of these things. What am I lacking? All these six things have I kept. Pay attention. This is the mindset of religion. These six things have I kept. I've done good. These are my good works. Jesus listed, don't miss this, six things. Does anybody know what six represents in the scripture? Six is the number of flesh. It is the number of man. Six represents what man can do through willpower and determination. You don't have to know him as God to do these six things. You can just know him as master. You can just know him as the lawgiver. You can just know him in, in text, in word only to obey these six things. You can will yourself to not kill somebody. You can will yourself to not commit adultery. You can will yourself to close your mouth and not bear false witness. This is, mm, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this room. There is a revelation that is coming to greater faith. And I know some of you are tired and you're sleepy. You're like, man, if you could get to the good part, that would help us stay awake. But there is a revelation in this story here tonight that I have never seen before that God showed me that I want you to get. I can do these six things, label myself a Christian, look good to others. I will have a clear conscience because I have jurisdiction over my own righteousness. I set the bar for each of these six things in my life, and then I get to judge whether or not I'm accomplishing each of these six things in my life. Because flesh is always in charge of religion. It decides, it dictates, it measures, and it judges. But the rich young ruler asked, what lack I yet? The rich young ruler sensed that there was more. When you feel like there is more, when you feel this question, God, I'm missing something. What lack I yet? What am I missing? Is there something else? That is your heavenly father knocking on your heart and inviting you into revelation 
and relationship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you feel, Sister Kim, I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost talking to you tonight. When you feel the Lord challenging you, let me tell you something. That's not the church or your pastor coming down on you. That is God saying, hey, I want you to know me in revelation and relationship. I'm trying to take you farther than where you have been. See, you can know him as the good master and live and operate in this place of religion where you have jurisdiction over your own righteousness and you, well, I can define this and I can define that and I can decide whether or not I'm accomplishing this and I can decide whether or not I'm measuring up to that. But there is going to be a moment when you feel like there is something lacking in your relationship with God uh, and when that moment comes and you see yourself asking that same question as the rich young ruler that is the open door that God is saying I'm trying to take you further Cole I'm trying to take you further you thought you knew me you knew me as the good master but I want you to know me as the good father I want you to know me as a good God I want you to know me in a way Luke that you have never known me before there is a part of me that I want to reveal to you that is greater but you can't know me in that context if you only live for me in the flesh if you're only willing rich young ruler to walk in these six things that you will only know me in the context of flesh but there is another dimension of relationship that God wants each and every one of us to get to and that's where he was trying to take the rich young ruler Hallelujah. Y'all still with me? Verse 21, Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, that word perfect, you can exchange that for mature. Okay? If thou wilt be mature, if that helps you understand it. Perfect is to be perfecting, to be growing, to be maturing. If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor. And no, Vinny's not going to ask for an offering. Everybody calm down. I know we're all offering doubt here, okay? Just breathe. Go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When you start feeling uncomfortable being the same as you have always been, when you start feeling challenged by commitment, by consecration, by righteousness you don't understand or maybe don't even agree with. When you feel like you are being pushed out of your comfort zone, pay attention. The Lord is calling you into a place that you cannot go without giving him all. <laughs> God was not asking for the rich young ruler's money. He was asking him for what was most precious to him. If you want to go all the way with God, it will require a total surrender of everything that you have kept off limits to God. Revelation and relationship come through total commitment. You can choose to live on level six if you want to. 
but I want to go to God's number. That's level seven. That's when God says, now, give me what you have never wanted to give me. Give me what you have had a grip on your entire life. Give me the thing that has changed, the thing you've always been afraid. Well, if pastor ever preaches on that. If, if, if the church ever challenges me in this area. If God ever asks me for this. If God ever asks me to open the door to this area of my understanding, my commitment, my relationship. Well, that's it for me. You're right. That's it for you if you don't open up that door. Because God's going to come. He's going to come. He's going to come for your doctrine. He's going to come for your understanding. He's going to come for your revelation. He's going to come for... He's going to come for the relationships in your life. He's going to come for your conversation. He's going to come for everything. He, what does he want? He wants your heart. He wants your heart. And where was the rich young ruler's money? It wasn't in a bank. It was in his heart. That's what was precious to him. God's coming for what's precious to you. Mm. Hallelujah. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. When God comes for what's precious, that's really the moment you decide is God first in my life or not? That's when you decide, is God just a slice of the pie or am I going to give him all? There will come a time in everybody's walk with God where you decide, am I going to compartmentalize God or am I going to give him my all? Does this make sense? He went away, the Bible says. The call to commitment will either pull you into a new place with God or it will cause you to retreat. When God comes with that challenge, do you know what the Lord is doing? He's putting you to a decision. God will give you a great space of grace in your walk with him. He'll allow you to grow. He'll allow you to learn. He'll allow you to, to understand, to be nurtured in the things of God. But every believer comes to a place like the rich young ruler where they're like, okay, I've done all this. I know there's more because I see it. I see it in other people's lives. How do you have power with God like that? How do you have favor with God like that? How do you operate in the gifts of the Spirit like that? Why is there such an anointing on your life? Why are you always happy even when there's tragedy? Why do you always have peace? What is going on? Why is there more in your life than there is in my life? Because there came a place in the life of that believer that you see where God says, give me what's precious. And they said, absolutely. Because I know you in the context of revelation and I know you in the context of relationship and when you know him like that there is nothing that's off limits to God in your life <laughs> hallelujah committed or conflicted commitment will always cause conflict in your life it's the conflict of greater commitment 
that causes people to be challenged. If there wasn't a conflict, it wouldn't be a challenge. It puts you to a decision to grow. These are your three options. You can grow. You can be lukewarm, which is the worst option. You know why? Because when people decide they're going to be lukewarm, you know what happens? They breed infection, and it gets in the church body. When I resist change and challenge that God brings into my life, but I keep showing up, but I've put a barrier on God, you know what happens? I become carnal in the pew, and then I begin to affect the people around me. So you either grow, you become lukewarm, or you retreat like the rich young ruler did. Hallelujah. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. There's revelation in this room right now. And that's why when the Lord challenges you, you don't back down. You lean in and say, God, yes. If that's what you, if you want this opinion, I've had this opinion. I, mean, I bring up opinions a lot. You're going to learn that about me. You know why? Because you're going to get a revelation of just how powerful opinions are. Opinions and our, the filter of our own understanding is often what restricts us the most in our growth with God. Because we decide, well, if that doesn't line up with my opinion, if I don't agree with that, then I don't have... This isn't Alcoholics Anonymous. This isn't take what you want and leave the rest. This is the whole gospel, the whole truth to the whole church. I don't get to pick and choose and cherry pick the word of God in my life. I want all of his truth working and living and operating in my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Verse 23, then said Jesus unto his disciples, verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. A rich man, this is not just somebody with a Range Rover or a Tesla or a mansion or lots of money in the bank. A rich man is a person who is possessive of what they hold precious. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? When you are poor in spirit, that means when you have something that is precious or valuable to you, you're not going to hold it like this. When God says, I want you to give me that pain that you've never been willing to give me before. You're like, well, I've had a relationship with this pain for 20 years. This pain has kept me company. And God's like, I want that pain. You're going to go, you know what? You can have my pain. That's being poor in spirit. A rich man is possessive of what he does, uh, of what he thinks is precious. Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. I've always looked at that verse with money, but now I got a new understanding of that verse. It's somebody who is not willing to release. What is precious to them to uh, to God? That person is going to have a difficult time making it to heaven. Unwillingness to let go of what or who, what or who, what or who. I've seen a lot of who's bring somebody out of the church of God. Because when God stepped in to deal with that who, they said, uh-uh, that's too precious. Unwillingness to let go of what or who you hold dear 
is often the biggest hindrance to our salvation. For most people, this is not money. Pull your toes in. For most people, it's not money. For most people, it's their carnality. For most people, our carnality is present. What do you mean by that? It means your comfort zone. It means the way you, well, that's just the way I do it. That's just the way I think about it. That's the way I've always done it. That's the way I'm always going to Well, I'm not sure I agree with that. What is that? That's carnality. That's living on level six. Well, I agree with these six things because they're obvious and everybody agrees with these. But when God tries to bring you into number seven, I'm not, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Well, good. That's what it's supposed to do. Because he called you to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. Number seven will always cut on your flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, and I love this, With men this is impossible. This is why it's number seven and not six. With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. How can I give him that pain? How can I give him that abuse? How can I give him that rejection? How can I give him that disappointment? How can I give him that opinion? How can I give him that disagreement? How can I give him this thing that is precious to me? With me by yourself, you can't, but with God, it's possible. That's why he gave you the Holy Ghost. Because now you have a power to say, God, I can step into number seven. I can step into a level of commitment with you that is greater than anything I have ever experienced before. Because now I have a source of Power that I did not have before. You can't willpower yourself into number seven, but you can Holy Ghost power yourself into commitment. When conflict says you can't, Jesus says you can. You can live for God. You can live righteously. You can come out from among them and be ye separate. How can I live for God in a world that's so messed up and confused and, and, and full of sin? You can. You can. Yes, you can. You can live holy. You can live righteously. You can experience the supernatural. You can walk in the spirit. You can hear from God. You can do the impossible with God. You can give it all to God. You can surrender all to God. You can walk by faith and not by sight. And you can have life and life more abundantly. How? By the power of his spirit. If you will know him and have relationship with him, yes, you can. Hallelujah. The cost of commitment is all. Sell all that you have. The commitment is all. And guess what the reward of commitment is? It's all. It's all. Uh, the reward of commitment is all. You know, people are, sometimes are like, man, uh, can I use your Bible? I left mine I am in the office. Thank you. Sometimes people are like, Vinny, I don't understand. You know, the, the word of God says this, and there's this promise and that promise. But I see them at every turn when God challenges them. 
and pushes on them or convicts them or wants them to grow in some area of their life, they push back on God. Well, guess what? Every time I don't let the word have authority in my life, I also release the word from having authority in my situation. My obedience to the word authorizes the word to have jurisdiction in my life. If I want the promises of God that are in his word, then I have to live by his word. Amen. 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 Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm almost finished. Verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? I love Peter. I love Peter in the Bible. His questions and the stuff he says. So uh, you know what he said? He said, now, Jesus, what's in it for us? Come on. What's the payday, right? What's going to happen? What do we get out of all this? We have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He had something special for those twelve disciples. He said, if you serve me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, what does that mean? He said, if you will stay with this after I die resurrect and ascend if you'll live for me after that when when all hell is going to break loose because the lord knew what was going to happen right is that if you'll live for me then he said this is your reward you're going to get a throne in heaven and everyone now that say this is us right here verse 29 said this is us and everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters, look, there's some who's in here. There's some what's in here. Or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands. For my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. God rewards commitment. God knows what it costs for you to live for him. And he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Would you stand? I'm going to read verse 30. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Hallelujah. Many times when we feel that challenge of the rich young ruler, mm, it's because we don't want to lose our place in this life. We found a comfortable spot, a spot that affirms us, a spot that makes us happy. Hallelujah. But you know what I have found? Brother Dwight, I have found, do you know how God honors sacrifice? With more sacrifice. You know how he honors obedience? With more obedience. He said line upon line. Precept upon precept. Here a little there a little. Victory to victory. Glory to glory. Every time God challenges us to grow. And we grow. And we know him more. 
He rewards us. This is a reward by challenging us again. Why is that a reward? Because every time you respond to the challenge, you get to know him more. You get to know him in a greater measure than you knew him before. See, he is the reward. That challenging leads you into more of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Well, let's pray together. Thanks for joining with us today. Be sure to check us out online at greaterfaith.church or find us on Facebook by searching My Greater Faith. There you can watch this sermon and others, as well as live stream all available services. If you like what you heard today, be sure to follow our podcast for new sermons and Bible studies as they become available. Greater Faith. Everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything's possible. Thank you.